Hey guys, welcome into the Faithful to the End podcast. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. Here you'll find easy access to all of Pastor Dave's sermons and even guest speakers at Graceway Church of Michiana. At Graceway Church of Michiana, we preach expositionally through the scriptures as we feel this is most consistent with the author's original intent in writing and yields both biblically and contextually accurate interpretations. At this time, we would invite you to grab your Bibles as we dig in to the Word of God. So we're going to go tonight to a passage that is, I think, particularly applicable with the Awana Awards ceremony in mind. Let's take our Bibles and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As we consider together these young people who have been hiding God's word in their hearts over the last several weeks and months and even years for some of them, we, we encounter tonight a passage that encourages us as believers, regardless of age, that this is something we need to hold fast to. This book should be the foundation of our very lives. And so as we would look at this, we're actually going to begin in verse 10 of chapter 3. We're going to work all the way through verse 8 of chapter 4. And so in some senses, we'll be, we'll be drinking from a fire hydrant tonight, but, but hopefully we'll be able to take it all in as we would consider this. Let's just begin with a reading of our text. Now in verse 10, God's word says to us, his people, You, however, have followed my teaching. My conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed." knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's begin with prayer, and we'll dive right into our passage. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you this evening to engage with this word. We thank you for this book, which is our very life. God, we pray that as we engage it, you would shine a light on our hearts and show us areas tonight that we need to grow, areas that we fall short. And we pray that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we would begin in our text tonight, in the, in the beginning of chapter 3 here, we see a passage that I really believe you, you have to consider this within its greater context of the book of 2 Timothy. And really, the the book of 2 Timothy, this is Paul's last epistle. He's being held in prison in Rome. He's actually being held in the Mamertine prison in Rome. Even a little bit of history on this prison, this is actually a a holding cell for prisoners who are on death row, in a sense. Uh, If you were in this prison, it wasn't a matter of of if you would die. It was a matter of when. In fact, uh, it's been told that this prison was, was rigged up to be flooded with city sewage at any moment, killing the prisoners inside. This was simply just a quick and easy way to be rid society of these prisoners who were on death row. It didn't take much. It was cost efficient in a sense. And this was the case for Paul as he's writing from this prison. Clearly, this is not a good scenario for Paul. He's awaiting his death. He knows he's awaiting his death. And I believe Paul's knowledge of his coming death cannot be separated from the nature of this book. As you look at this book, Paul really is making a desperate plea to Timothy, and in this passage in particular, be faithful to the end. 
endure, Timothy. And as Paul is understanding and contemplating his own death, he's writing to Timothy to encourage him, understanding the, the, really the radical impact that this death would have on Timothy's life. Paul had been a spiritual father to Timothy in many respects, and Paul knew that. Timothy's raised by his mother and grandmother, but his father is, is relatively absent spiritually from his life. The references that we have of his father in Scripture are not necessarily positive. And so Paul fills this role for Timothy, but now Paul is going to die. And so he's writing Timothy to encourage him, be faithful, remain steadfast. As you begin in this text, even in verse 10, we see this opening this opening comment, you, however, Timothy, and, and really we'll see this throughout this section of Scripture from verses 10 through verse 8 of chapter 4, we see this phrase repeated multiple times. The author is simply trying to draw a clear comparison. This is the bad example, but you, however, live this way. Your life, Timothy, should be defined by these characteristics. And so as you consider this, we'll, we'll see this a number of times, beginning in verse 10, and really the beginning of chapter 3 from verses 1 through 9, we have a list of godless characteristics that describe false teachers. And as Paul is writing, he's saying, you, however, Timothy, you have been different. What does he go on to say? You, you have followed my teaching. He begins chapter 3 with a description of these false teachers who have infiltrated the church. And then as he would continue in verse 10, he says, you, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, patience, love, and steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, these, even these references of these cities are designed, are implemented here to stir Timothy's earliest memories of Paul. As you would consider these opening words here to Timothy, that Timothy had been faithful to follow. Timothy was a faithful follower of Paul. In fact, Timothy had an intimate knowledge of Paul's life. He knew Paul wasn't a faker. Paul didn't preach one thing and live a different way. He knew Paul's conduct. He knew Paul's aim in life. He knew Paul's persecutions. He knew Paul's endurance, which we'll read of later in chapter 4. This knowledge would have deeply impacted Timothy, would have been formative in Timothy's life. And as Timothy has been a faithful follower of Paul, Paul is writing to remind Timothy of his own suffering for the gospel. Paul's writing to remind Timothy, these persecutions will come, remain steadfast, remain faithful, faithful to the end. As you would consider this, Paul's ministry is a mark of faithfulness. Essentially, Paul is reminding Timothy of the characteristics that marked his own ministry. He's saying, you have faithfully followed my teaching. And in this way, Timothy had an intimate knowledge of Paul's teaching, of his life. He'd even traveled with him. Dwayne Lifton writes that these references to Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra must have stirred Timothy's earliest memories of Paul. Paul recalls the sufferings and persecutions that he endured at these locations, but remembers the Lord's deliverance from these hardships. And so as you would continue reading there in verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Iconium and at Antioch and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And so Paul's warning of future persecution in verse 12, but he's also reassuring him with the promise of divine protection. 
Consider even verse 13, which says, or excuse me, verse 12, which says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This, for believers, this should be an understood concept. This is not something that we need to wrestle with. We understand as we pursue Christ and as we strive to grow deeper in our knowledge of him, this is a natural byproduct. I heard one preacher who who once made the comment that as he looked through the Gospels, he noticed, as he looked even through a book like Acts, he noticed apostles and disciples whose lives were repeatedly threatened for their proclamation of the Gospel. And his reflection on this was, no one's ever tried to kill me for preaching the Gospel. Maybe I'm not doing something right. Clearly, he's overstating his point. But for us as believers, this is an understood Persecution is a natural byproduct of following Christ wholeheartedly. Paul's point to Timothy is to say, as this persecution comes, notice how the Lord delivered me. He will do so for you. Remain faithful. Remain steadfast. From all of these sufferings, the Lord rescued me. We see in verses 13 through 15, now Timothy is commanded to live differently. Timothy's commanded to live differently. We see once again this recurring description of evil people, of deceivers within the church in verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Notice again the beginning of verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, again that clear contrast. Verse 13, evil people, imposters, they're going from bad to worse. But as for you, Timothy... What? Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. This is a reference, a a, a foreshadowing even, you could say, of, of Timothy's teachers, Lois and Eunice, his mother and grandmother, who had been faithful to teach him the scriptures. As Paul is writing this, reminding in verse 13, he's continuing this warning even of persecution. He's telling him these false teachers, these deceivers will go on from bad to worse. Currently, they're bad. He's saying they, they will flourish in their deception. This is not the only time we see this warning from Paul. And in Romans 1.25, he tells us, he tells the readers that people will exchange the truth about God for a lie. We, we are living in this age currently. This passage applies to us. Evil people and imposters are going from bad to worse. They are deceiving and being deceived. They're spreading their deception. They are flourishing in their deception. But the reminder, once again, for us is in verse 14, but as for you, what is the command? Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Continue in your foundation, Timothy. What grounded you? Who grounded you? Remember the teachers who were faithful to teach you, even in verse 14, again, noticing that grammatical shift in the text as Paul is turning to instruct Timothy. Paul describes this wickedness that will continue to consume the world, and then he turns to Timothy to instruct him how he should respond biblically. He's instructing believers how we respond biblically to this kind of opposition. We see really in verses 11 through 13, a bleak picture painted. And as we look at this, you'd have to be asking yourself, if you were logical at all, how is one, in t- how is one supposed to remain steadfast, hold fast to what they've learned under these kind of circumstances? Paul, Paul doesn't hide or sugarcoat this message at all. In verse 12, he says, 
All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face persecution. How are we supposed to endure in light of that kind of suffering? Suffering that we have not seen. Suffering that we have not experienced. The kind of suffering that Paul is referencing here, we don't know, we don't understand as Americans. But this time is coming. Be warned, Paul is saying. Be warned and be prepared to remain steadfast, to remain faithful to the end. How can we do that, though? We understand the message at this point. The encouragement for us is clear. But how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to carry this out and live out these truths? Paul is calling Timothy to remain steadfast. He's calling him to remain steadfast to something, though, to what he had learned. He's literally telling him to hold fast or to remain to. You could literally take the idea here of a rock climber who is clinging to a a rock face as he would climb up a mountain. You, You might imagine you would hold fast, in a sense, if you were on the side of a rock wall. And this is the idea here of this passage. You hold fast to biblical principles, to scripture in that way, in the way a rock climber would cling to the face of a rock. You must cling to these truths. These truths ground your life. Not only do these truths ground Timothy's life, but also who Timothy had learned from. Paul's exhorting Timothy to remember the godly teachers that had been faithful to train him. Of course, this is referring to Timothy's mother and grandmother, even perhaps Paul himself. And we know what had Timothy learned. He's telling him to continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. But the the what is actually located in verse 15. What had Timothy learned? Verse 15, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. From childhood, Timothy has been acquainted with these sacred writings. Even notice the adjective that Paul uses there to describe the Bible, sacred writings. This is, of course, in comparison with the doctrine of the false teachers, which was not biblically grounded. Paul's saying you have these sacred writings to ground your beliefs, to ground the truth that you hold to. Sacred writings is just a clear distinction. He is, Paul is clearly highlighting the nature of Timothy's knowledge as opposed to the nature of these false teachers' knowledge. Timothy was holding fast to the sacred writings, to the inspired words of God, which we'll even see in verse 15. But once again, Paul just clearly highlighting the foolishness of these false teachers' doctrines as he writes in verse 15. Of course, these writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is clearly the main thrust of the scriptures is to point people, to bring people to faith in Christ. This book is powerful to do that. It's powerful to equip you in your own mission to lead others to Christ. Finally, we reach verse 16. The, the classic passage that we would look to, that we would turn to for the inspiration of the Bible, we see in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul's concluding now chapter 3, and he's transitioning into chapter 4 by highlighting the importance and the power of scripture. Paul here, as he highlights this power of Scripture for the life of a believer, we we cannot understate the importance of this passage. 
This book is powerful to transform the way that you live. Because of the impact that Scripture had made on Timothy's own life, Paul is able to assert the usefulness of Scripture to change and sanctify believers into greater Christ-likeness. Paul states that through the Scriptures, the man of God may be complete. The idea here is lacking nothing. Depending on the version you're reading, it may say perfect even there. And the idea is not, if you read your Bible enough, then you just won't sin anymore. No, that word perfect actually literally means complete. It's lacking nothing. You're equipped, you're prepared for every good work. And the encouragement here as believers is that this book is able to equip you for whatever God has called you to do. Whatever God has called you to in this life, this book is able to equip you to prepare you for that ministry. It's often been said that God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. This is the idea of this passage here. God qualifies you through his word for his service. The words complete and equipped once again indicate that no matter what God calls you to, no matter what God calls his followers to, the word of God is all they need to complete the task. It is sufficient. This is really a statement not only on the power of the word, but also the sufficiency of the word. And folks, for us to not understand tonight the sufficiency and the power of the Bible this, this would be akin to somebody calling me and saying, hey, listen, uh, Mike, I've got a problem here. I just bought a brand new lawnmower. I can't seem to get it started. You know, you had a lawn business for a number of years, and so maybe you can help me. Okay, and so as you listen on the phone, perhaps, you, they, they've even maybe done some work. You know, this is a brand new lawnmower, but they're going, okay, I, you know, it won't start up. I, I've cleaned the whole thing. You know, this thing looks great, all right? So it's all clean. Got brand new oil in there. Brand new oil. Oil's, oil looks great. Okay. Spark plugs changed. Spark plugs changed. Air filter changed. You know, the carburetor's clean. The, the blades are sharpened. Everything on this mower is ready to go, you know? And, and, and even, Micah, even I found the purest, cleanest, most expensive bottled water to pour into the fuel tank. Well, well there's your problem. I don't know of any lawnmowers that run on expensive, bottled, purified water. You, you need the right fuel. In a sense, we, we could say that this is oftentimes, we, we laugh at that example, that would be ludicrous, but that's how we live our lives as Christians. What's wrong with me? Well, you know, why am I struggling with these different sin patterns? Why can I not break this struggle of thinking in my life? Why can I not break this sin habit? But you're ignoring the power of God to change you and to sanctify you more into his image, which is his inspired word. This is the power for you as a believer to grow more into the image of Jesus Christ. This book makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so often as believers, we ignore it. Consider even Deuteronomy chapter 32, after the law is given, Moses states to the people, these are not just idle words for you. Indeed, they are your very life. And how many of you would step back as you would look to the Bible, you would say, this book, this word is my very life. And as the Jews received the law, that is how they were instructed to view it. This is your life. This is the foundation the starting point for everything you do and every motivation you have. Is that the case? 
Is that the case for you as a believer? You can step back and honestly evaluate your life and say, this book is my very life. It drives every passion I have. And this is the case. From a young age, Paul even says, Timothy has been acquainted with this book. Customarily, Jewish children from the age of five would have been responsible to study the scriptures for themselves. Timothy would have had an intimate knowledge of this book. Even Jewish uh, Pharisees or rabbis would have been responsible to memorize even the first five books of the law. You consider the first five books of your Bible and having that memorized. It was an unbelievable task. And yet we know the Pharisee of Pharisees writes this book to us. This is the nature of their understanding of the word. This is how they viewed the word. They had a high view of God's word. They understood the power of God's word to impact and change their lives. Once again, who of us today would describe the Bible as our very life? And yet it must be. As believers, you should have a passion to know God through his word. This is the only way. Even the psalmist David says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Does your soul long for God in the way that you would seek out the word daily? You should. If you don't, by God's grace, you can. You can today. Paul doesn't stop here in his strong encouragement for the word. In his strong encouragement for Timothy to be faithful to the word, he doesn't stop here. In fact, he continues in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Let's look down at verse 1 of chapter 4. Now the Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy, pastor at Ephesus. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and kingdom, preach the word. Now, whoa, whoa. As a, as a modern reader, perhaps we don't fully understand the importance of verse 1. But anybody who is reading this in this day and age is saying, okay, wait a minute. Pause after verse 1. What is Paul about to say? Th- this is huge. Did you even catch everything in verse 1? First, you just have the apostle Paul saying, I charge you. As if that's not enough. If the Apostle Paul said to any one of us today, hey, I charge you, you'd probably go, okay, wait a minute, let me grab a pen. Okay, let me make sure I catch this because the Apostle Paul just said he charges me to do something. Not only does he charge Timothy to do something, he charges him in the name of God, in the name of Christ Jesus. Furthermore, in light of the coming judgment of Christ and his millennial kingdom. Paul Paul is not backing down in his exhortation to Timothy to remain faithful to the word. Because once again, as you read verse 1 and look to verse 2, you're going, okay, what what is this? I've got to catch verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so as you would consider this, Timothy's charge then is to what? Remain faithful to this word. Remain faithful to God's word, to this inspired word, to the sacred writings. This is the idea here. Preach the word and not only preach the word, but be ready in season and out of season. Many times this is a misunderstood portion of scripture. As we would look at this, you you may say, 
what exactly is Paul talking about? We have this very imperative command, preach the word, okay? This is the only option for Timothy. There is no secondary prosperity gospel that Timothy's maybe allowed to preach some Sundays. No, you preach the word. Not only is that an imperative command to preach the word, but it's an imperative reminder, this word, no other word, Timothy. Preach the word, and then we have this encouragement to be ready in season and out of season. As you would consider this idea, it likely carries two meanings, this idea of in season and out of season. First, Timothy is commanded to boldly proclaim the word, whether you feel like it or not. This is the call for Timothy. Whether you feel particularly driven to proclaim this word, you're still called to do it. Secondly, Timothy is commanded to boldly preach the word, whether his audience is willing to respond or not. Likely, if you've done any kind of witnessing or any kind of preaching, you understand there's a, there's a feeling, there's a sense when your audience is hard to the word. Paul is encouraging Timothy, that's not a factor. You remain faithful to this word and to the message it proclaims. As you consider this, even, he continues to encourage Timothy You understand the nature of verse 2 as you would continue to read verses 3 and 4. Paul's forced to warn Timothy in this way because of verses 3 and 4. Notice verse 3 with me. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now this is the, the warning for Timothy. This is why such a strong encouragement to preach the word and to be faithful to this message. Because a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They won't have it. They will have itching ears. They will gather teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. And once again, we're living in this day and age. We can tell clearly, look around your culture. This is where we are. And likely it was where Timothy was as well. This is why Paul's warning him in this way. If you look back at the beginning of chapter 3, very likely, Timothy's already living in this. Timothy knows this. Hence the encouragement from Paul. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season because Paul knows Timothy's audience won't have ears to respond. They won't have hearts to respond. There's a sense of Matthew 13, 14, and 15. This people has shut their eyes If only they would open their eyes, turn, and be healed. They have chosen to shut their eyes, close their ears, and harden their hearts to this message. And Paul's encouragement is, that is your audience, Timothy, but it doesn't matter. Be faithful to the word. Preach the word. As you would even consider this passage, many times we would look at this and we would be tempted to say, well, well, that's fantastic. And yet we know this is a pastoral epistle. And and if you didn't notice, Micah, that verse two said preach. And so I'm not in vocational ministry. So that's a great passage. And it's often used and quoted and spoken out of at pastor's conferences. But but that doesn't apply to me. See, I'm not called to preach the word in that way because I'm not on staff at a church anywhere. And if that's where you are in your thoughts, I I would encourage you to look at verse 5 with me. Once again, we see this opening phrase, as for you, verse 4 concludes with this description of evil people. Once again, 
These people will turn away from listening to the truth. They will wander off into myths. Once again, a reference to the deception, the flourishing of these deceivers, and the encouragement again, the clear contrast in verse 5 of Timothy's call. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Once again, a call to be faithful. A call to endure, to remain steadfast. And then the command, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. As you would consider this verse, I think it makes the rest of this passage uniquely applicable to our lives as believers. To our daily lives as believers. You would look at this passage and and you'd say, for, for Paul, he's commanding Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And so we have to step back and say, well, what is a biblical evangelist? And it's an interesting passage uh, here. It's, it's ironic in some senses that I have worked through this passage because I've just traveled with an evangelist. And I'm here to tell you, a biblical evangelist is not someone who has a semi-truck and hooks up a trailer and drives to different churches around the country. That's not a biblical evangelist. Now, at the same time, I know there's, there's you know, potential for some people to go, oh, so, you know, because you just traveled with an evangelist. So then I'm not saying that can't be a biblical evangelist. So then what is a biblical evangelist? As you look at God's word and you would even consider this office of the evangelist within the church, you would come to something like this answer. If you were to, devi- uh, to define a biblical evangelist, it would be a preacher of the gospel. A biblical evangelist is someone who preaches the gospel. That is the primary thrust of their ministry, in a sense. And so, as Paul is talking to Timothy here, a young pastor at Ephesus, he commands him, do the work of an evangelist. Once again, a command to preach the word. An evangelist being a gospel preacher, Paul is once again bringing Timothy back to this idea of faithfulness to the word and to the message of the gospel. But you'd look and you would say clearly throughout scripture, pastors are not the only people who are called to preach the gospel. In fact, each and every one of us as believers, as Christ followers, is called to preach the gospel. Is called at a bare minimum to live out the gospel. For your life to be changed by the gospel and thus be a daily message of the gospel to the unsaved world. This book, this message changed my life and it's tangible. You can see it. And for many of us in the world, we we forget that sometimes you are the only Bible anyone will ever read. Your life. Your life is your greatest witness. And as you would look at this passage, this is the reminder for Timothy. Be faithful to this word. Preach the word. And for you as believers, in season and out of season, whether this is something you want to do, whether your audience is receptive to it or not, preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist. Paul's final word to Timothy at the end of verse 5 is to fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. And once again, how is Timothy called to do this? How is Timothy expected to do this under such difficult circumstances? How can Timothy fulfill his ministry with this word? 
Remember verse 16 of chapter 3. It is profitable. And verse 17, it completes and equips the man of God for every good work. This is how Timothy is called to fulfill his ministry with this book. It's how each and every one of us are called to fulfill our ministries as believers. It's through the power of God's word. Are you neglecting this power that should drive your spiritual life? Do you have water in your gas tank? That's a problem. What fuels your spiritual walk with God? Is it the word? Is it this book? It has to be. It has to be. And then as we would even continue, as we would transition now down into verse 6, we see a faithful life. We see an example of faithfulness to the end. Paul's life had been this mark of faithfulness. His ministry from the beginning of chapter 3, we see his ministry has been this mark of faithfulness. It's been an example of faithfulness to Timothy. As Paul is now concluding his letter to Timothy, this final statement in verses 6 through 8 overshadows the entire letter, I believe. Paul knows he's going to die. This knowledge of his death informs the sobering nature of his warnings to Timothy. Let's look at verses 6 through 8 now. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. As you would consider this, even beginning in chapter uh, 4, you see, or excuse me, beginning in verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Paul actually uniquely links this opening statement of verse 6 with the opening statement of verse 5. And you would only notice this if you were reading this in a Greek New Testament. He tells Timothy, verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded. In the beginning of verse 6, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The two verses could literally be read. In a sense, verse 5, Paul's telling Timothy, keep your head. Be sober-minded. This is literally the definition of being sober-minded is to be steadfast even in your thinking. And so here, as you would even consider verse 6 then, as Paul would, would remind Timothy of his coming departure, of his death, you could almost read these two verses if you were to link them together in the way that it's written, in a sense, verse 5 and verse 6. You could almost say, but as for you, Timothy, keep your head, be sober-minded, because as for me, I am going to depart. Paul is uniquely linking the beginning of verse 6 with the command in verse 5 to remain steadfast, to be sober-minded. He's being poured out as a drink offering. Even this own this phraseology that Paul uses here, this is referring to the Old Testament drink offerings that would have been poured out to the Lord as a sacrifice, as an offering. And as you would consider this, this even speaks to Paul's own ideology, the way that he viewed his life. He viewed his life as a sacrifice poured out to God. This even comes through in his writings. He tells us to present your bodies daily as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. You'd consider this is the way Paul lived. Remember verse 10 of chapter 3. Timothy knew this is how Paul lived his life. 
Timothy knew this was not some phony thing that Paul said in word but didn't ever practice in deed. That wasn't the case. Paul lived out these truths. He understands now the time of his departure has come. He's encouraging Timothy in this way. Please, Timothy, be faithful to the end. Verse 7 is a testimony of Paul's own faithfulness. As you would consider this, look at verse 7 with me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We see these athletic statements of imagery here that Paul uses. Paul is known for using these throughout his epistles and writings. We see these throughout the books to the Corinthians. And here Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. One commentator writes, looking back over his life, the apostle offered a remarkable description few could honestly echo. And isn't that the case? But shouldn't that be our desire? Wouldn't it be your desire as you would draw to the end of your days to be able to echo this verse? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. The course that God has set out before me, I have finished it. I have completed it. And Paul is able to say that because of the word that equipped him to do it. He had kept the faith. Notice the the first two statements. Once again, they're common athletic images that Paul would have frequently referred to to describe the Christian life, the Christian walk. His third reflection of keeping the faith refers to him fulfilling his duties that were required of him as an apostle. And not only as an apostle, but also as we've already discussed, as a believer. Not just as an apostle, but simply as a believer, the duties that were required of him. Paul had not been lacking in his duties to spread and share the gospel, nor had he been lacking in his lifestyle. The message that he preached, he also lived out by God's grace, by the power of God's word. And the word that empowered Paul's life and his ministry is available to you to empower yours as well today. If you'll accept it, if you'll engage it, it's there, it's available for you. Will you take advantage of that power? Or will you continue to power your spiritual walk with counterfeit gospels, with counterfeit messages? This book should be your very life. And when it is, you too can echo this verse. Because this book will equip you to live your life in that way. As you consider this, because Paul is able to say this about his life, he's also able to claim this eternal reward in verse 8. Verse 8, Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Because of Paul's faithfulness in his walk, in his Christian fight, he had nothing to fear as he stood before God to give account for his life. In fact, Paul tells of a crown of righteousness that is waiting for him due to his faithful service. Paul's not trying to be prideful here in any way. Paul's trying to encourage his faithful follower, Timothy, to live a life that is worthy of the gospel, to strive for mastery in his Christian walk. Saying, Timothy, look at my life. Paul also never shied away from telling his readers just what a bad guy he was. Let's not mistake this verse for pride here. Paul's saying, you know my life, and you even know what I came out of, as we read this morning in Acts. 
this book is powerful to change me, it's powerful to change you. If I can say this about my life, you too can say this about your life, Timothy. This is meant to be an encouragement. As you would even look to a book of Hebrews, and you see Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, since we also are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, this idea of witnesses, what is that talking about? As we just jump off on a quick tangent here, chapter 11 is the context for chapter 12, and we have the leaders of the faith, heroes of the faith even. And so as you look to verse 1 of chapter 12, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. What are they witnessing to? The power of the gospel to change and transform the way they lived. Paul's doing the same thing here. This book was powerful to change me. It's powerful to change you. Will you let it? Will you let it? What's truly amazing is that the testimony that Paul provides of his life is true. As we would conclude, you have to ask yourself this evening, is this true of my life? Is this how I live? Do I strive for mastery in my Christian walk this way? What is truly fueling my Christian walk? There are many good resources out there for believers to engage with, but only one is capable of producing this kind of change in your life. It's this book, the Bible. How do you engage it? Do you engage it? Are you faithful to it? This entire book of 2 Timothy is an encouragement to Timothy, be faithful in your ministry. Be faithful to the end. As believers today, are we striving to be faithful in our own personal ministries, in our own walk with God? This is an encouragement for you and me today. Be faithful to this book and be faithful to the end.